to songs on the radio just so that I could record them and listen to them later was exactly what I did when I was young. I would listen with my tape recorder and to the voice of the DJ and I would wait to hit the button until my favorite song came on. I wanted the ultimate playlist. Yet I may have been a little bit different than most. You see, I didn't stop there. I used to make mixtapes of my own voice in made up voices or in different accents. There was of course the really cool old guy. Hey, Billy, Billy, get my cane. The, the, the ice cream truck's coming. Come on, Billy, get my cane. And then there was the opera singer. And then the little British boy. Mommy, mommy. There's a squirrel in our lawn. Mommy, can I go play with the squirrel? And then, of course, there was the, the man in the box. Hey, yeah, you. You over there. You see me? Hey, let me out of here. Let me out of here. I got to get out of here. Now, of course, I, I grew up. I don't do voices like that anymore. Some of you are like, good, we're so glad. But you can tell, I know it's hard to believe. You can tell as a kid, I, was a, I had a vivid imagination, right? And I, I like to be creative and have fun. So in a pure childlike way, I love to hear the sound of my own voice. When I would listen to mixtapes, I, I always had the choice. Was I going to listen to my own voice or was I going to choose to listen to the voice of the people who are really good at what they did and really good at singing? You know, that's a lot like a very real spiritual tension that each and every one of us face every single day. Are we going to listen to our own voice or are we going to listen to the voice of God? So how? How do you do that? How do you hear God's voice? I mean, that's so important. It's such a great question, and we need to know the answer to that, because why? Some of our decisions determine the future, the trajectory, trajectory of our lives. But it's hard. Why? Because it's noisy in here. No, not in here, not in this room, but in our world. You know this if you've ever gotten into a shouting match with your teenager, and we know that's never happened. We know, you know this if you've ever heard your child, you're reminded of this when they're screaming from the back seat of the car and it's the sound makes it feel like your eardrum's going to peel off. It's also something that you're reminded of on a regular basis when you hear the noise of that coworker who's constantly gossiping next to you and talking and will not stop. So in the midst of all of this noise, it's really hard, isn't it, truthfully? to hear the voice of God. So what if you could turn off your own voice and the voices in this world and the noise of a busy life and clearly hear God throughout the days of your life? 
How would your life be different if his voice stood out among the rest? What if you were constantly able to hear, write down, and obey all the things that God was speaking to you for your life? Wow, that would be a game changer, wouldn't it? I mean, that would be incredible to be able to hear God's voice like that. Why? Because think about it. Uh, think of the pain that you would avoid, the relationships that you would have never gotten involved with. What about all those amazing missed opportunities that you would jump into because God was tapping you on the shoulder, whispering, saying, go, you got this. You can do it. Instead of walking away in frustration and giving up on people one right after another, you would hear God's voice saying, give them grace because I have forgiven you. And relationships would be incredibly life-giving, those that you had written off. And think of the positive impact of hearing God's voice on your marriage. Your spouse needs you to be more committed or needs you to do this in this area or that. Think of all the anxiety and the depression that would no longer haunt you in the middle of the night or as you walk into your annual review. So how, how can we hear God's voice? Well, here's a clue. The closer you get to somebody, the easier it is to hear them. You have decided what we're going to talk about today. You see, this message is a part of what's called the Mixtape Series. You guys here at The Grove have submitted some of your favorite Bible passages. And so we're going to be speaking on a passage today. But I want to give you a little bit of context. And again, this is part of that. We're going to be looking at, at Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But you need to know that this passage is actually part of a larger, I would call, Mixtape Sermon by Jesus. You see, one chapter earlier in Matthew chapter 5, we find that Jesus has been surrounded by the multitudes for a while. They wanted to get close to him, and so he sits down on a mountainside, and he begins to teach them, and he launches in, again, to one of the greatest mixtape sermons you've ever heard. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and he, he begins to teach them through all of Matthew 5, and he finally gets to the early part of Matthew 6, and then he starts talking about three things, three spiritual dif disciplines, prayer, fasting, and giving, things that will change your life, and then he starts to contrast those. This is Jesus contrasting them with things that people of our world do. They go after success and money and, and worry, and they go after all these things, and he goes back and forth, and he compares and contrasts them, and then then he gets to Matthew 6, 33, and he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first. Seek God first. So what does it mean to seek someone first? Well, my son, Alex, is uh, about 23, and he's just recently started uh, a relationship with a young lady. He's known her for four years, but, but now he's starting to feel like this, you know, this could be a long-term relationship, and so he's all excited, and they're spending lots of time together. Well, my son, though, I've often thought of him as the ultimate time 
conservationist. Man, he is so good at squeezing the most out of every single minute of life. And part of that is because he budgets his time and he monitors the use of that time and he makes sure that he's getting results with his time. So the other day he was at our house. He lives away from home now and he's at back home and him and I were having a conversation and we were talking about his life for about 20 minutes. So suddenly the conversation turned and we started to, I started to kind of catch him up on my life. And about six minutes in, he's like, dad, he got, he got all this anxiety. He's like, dad, stop, stop. I, I, I can't talk to you anymore. Dad, sh she's about to call any minute. I got to run into the other room. I got to catch this call from her. And I was like, wait a second. Are you the guy where I changed your diapers like how many times? I mean, the same guy that I helped you learn to ride a bike. I was there when you were doing your homework every day. I mean, I helped you pass your driver's license examination. Are you kidding me? So you're telling me you don't have time to talk to me anymore because of her? And then it hit me. I was like, yeah, that's the best. That's awesome. That's incredible. Go, Alex. Because the reality is, if it's going to become long-term, I want him to seek her first. What does it mean to seek someone first? They become more important than anything else, even your most prized possession, even your super cool dad, right? But, but the reality is that in marriage, your spouse is always first. Always, above everything, above your kids, everything. And just be full below God. Jesus was talking about hearing God's voice, and he says it, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So hearing God's voice, Jesus was saying, was really going to require you to rearrange your priorities. If you're going you're gonna to hear our Heavenly Father, Jesus was like, you, you, you got to get things ordered. You got to get them arranged properly. And of course, doing so starts with realizing that when we choose one thing, we are by default saying no to other things. When we choose to pursue money, people, pleasure, attention in a narcissistic way, we are saying no to God, seeking God first. It also starts by understanding the word second. So have you guys ever thought about that? Does anybody here ever get excited about this idea of second? Maybe you're preparing for a marathon or a 10K, or maybe you're coaching your kid's team to the playoffs, and you're just like, man, if we could just come in second, if I could just get second, oh, that would be the best. Does anybody here ever get excited about second? Is it helpful and fun to be chosen second for a job? Mr. Rosinger. Thank you so much for submitting your resume. High five. Man, you blew out that interview. Now we hired somebody else. We'll never talk to you again. But high five, way to go. You're our second choice. Is that helpful? How about, how about when you're on your knee, you're pouring your heart out, you give her the ring, and, and she looks at it, and she's like, well, I'm flattered, but um, I, I chose somebody else. I mean, I love him. You're, you know, you're kind of cute. And here, take this back. You might want to get your $20 back. Um, is, it, is it helpful? Like, I, I mean, I think of the women, right, that on The Bachelor, have you seen that show at the end? One lady gets the ring and the other one doesn't. And the other one goes home in the limo. And man, there's, it's like a faucet. There's tears and drama. And, and, and that makes sense. She's broken hearted. Is it helpful to be chosen second in a bidding war for home ownership? How about for a heart transplant? No. 
being second is lousy. It's the worst. Why? Because you don't get the job. You don't get the guy. Someone else gets to live in your house and their heart because they got the transplant continues to beat on and you take your last breath. Second is the worst. So why would Jesus ask us to see God first? Because God is the best and he's the best that we could ever hope for while we're alive on this earth. Am I the only one here this morning? God is the best, and he's the best we could ever hope for while we're alive on this earth. Now, I've seen you guys at, at, at uh, baseball games, you know, and, in your home during the Super Bowl. Everybody freaks out, but it's okay. By the way, I'm Norwegian too. We, we can get excited about Jesus every now and then. But, but check this out. It, it, Jesus also said to choose God first because God deserves our best, right? And he knew that the American culture, the way it would be that God would get pushed to second, third, fourth, fifth forgotten. So there are some great excuses. And you know them. I know them. I've used these excuses for not seeking God first. Well, and they can be pretty convincing, like, I'm too busy. I mean, my schedule's so full. I don't have time to pray or to read my Bible. I've got to make money. I mean, somebody around here has got to pay the bills, right? Or how about my needs aren't getting met, so let me take care of me first. Or, or, or what about this one? My kids have to keep up with all the other kids on the team. Besides, this is a year-long sport. I mean, we got to go seven days a week if we're ever going to see them get better. Or no one else in this room is taking God as seriously as Jesus is saying, so why should I? Why me if they're not? And you know what the problem with those excuses is they're not good enough for God. My excuses are not good enough for God. So if seeking God first means he wins every time and he does, what are we teaching our children when everything but God comes first? Are our kids convinced by their parent-directed, overloaded schedule that God should come first? Have we led our spouse in such a way that we show them that Jesus is more important than anything else? Jesus wanted us to catch this. He wanted us to, wanted to send the point home. And, and many of you know this, the New Testament is written in the, the, the language, the Greek language. And so when Jesus spoke the word seek first, it was written down. And that word seek, Jesus chose it carefully. It, it's the Greek word zeteo. And it has two definitions. The first one is to search for, to desire, to require, and to demand. Do you notice the escalation? The second one is to seek by inquiring, to investigate, to reach a binding terminal resolution, to search, getting to the bottom of a matter. You can feel it. There's a, an intensity in this word and in its definition. So I ask you, when was the last time you demanded to have time with God? that you desired, you searched, you, you, you hunted him down and said, God, I want to be with you. When was the last time that you searched him out to get to the bottom of who he is or the bottom of a question that you needed to hear his voice regarding? Jesus wanted us to hear God's voice. He wanted us to be close to God. He wanted us to get Zeteo. So that's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, in talking about prayer and how we should be doing it, what it should look like, here's what he said. He said, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Zeteo. 
an intensity, a passion. Go after God. What is he saying? Bang on the door of heaven, the windows of heaven. Pray and seek my Father until he answers you. Don't give up. What if you're sitting on your couch and suddenly somebody starts knocking at your door? Would you wait five minutes to get up and answer it? Would you wait 50? How about five weeks, five months? Would you wait a year? No. After about 25 minutes, you'd be going crazy. You'd be like, why is this person not going to stop? Why? What do they want? And finally, you would jump up off the couch. You would run over to the door. You'd throw it open. You'd say, what do you want? And that's the picture. Say, Dale, keep on, not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus was saying, keep on. But you know what? Hearing God's voice, his point was rearranging your priorities. And the only way to do that, ultimately, it starts by understanding that I am second and God is first, that you are second, and that everything he desires and wants comes first. And I and my demands and my selfishness always come second. It's rearranging your priorities. succeed. I mean, I'm passionate about the game of baseball, and when you're passionate about something, you desire to be successful. I've lived baseball from pretty much the day I was born. I've loved it since I was two or three years old. It would be great if everybody knew me as David Murphy, the all-star or David Murphy, the World Series champion. I would love to be all those things and everything that comes with it, but to set my priorities straight, um, I would love to be looked at as David Murphy, the man of God. I pray during the national anthem before each game and one of the things that I pray is that I'm playing for his glory. You know, baseball is a difficult game and it can drive you crazy and uh, it can create a lot of worry. But in the end, there is confidence in him or there's fear. And I pick the confidence in him you don't have to worry about going 0 for 4 or having a terrible game or being in slump because um, that's not the big picture. That's not the most important thing. God blessed me with this talent for a reason and the game of baseball should be my ministry. Why not use every opportunity you can to spread the word A lot of people come to Jesus because they're at a crossroads in their life or um, something devastating happens. And that wasn't the case for me. I just, uh, I knew that I had a hole in my heart and I, I figured out that the only thing that could fill that void was Jesus. At first I thought my testimony was, um, was my story about how I was saved. And that night, and praying the prayer, and uh, the 
more I grow in Christ, I realize that my testimony is my life. My name is David Murphy, and I am second. I think it was about a year ago that David Murphy said no to the Minnesota Twins, even though he's a World Series champion, and he said yes to God and yes to his family. Jesus wanted us to hear God's voice, and he, here's what he, he said. He said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and I, I know it's tough. You see, most of the time, we can't hear God because we're looking for him or listening for him in the wrong places, and that's why Jesus uh, kind of turned our face, and, and he was like, hey, hearing God's voice will require you to sharpen your focus you gotta, you got to rearrange your priorities. you got to seek him first, but you got to sharpen your focus if you're going to hear God. And how did he? He pulled our gaze, and he said, here's what you need to focus on, his kingdom and his righteousness. After seeking God first, this should be our number one thing. Why is this important? It eliminates our entitlements and our selfish demands from the equation of the Christian life. When we are focused on ourselves, we are wasting the very time that God has given us. It's a gift. In fact, we are wasting his time. It's borrowed, in my opinion. I didn't deserve to wake up today. I, didn't, I don't have the right to breathe this air and to have my heart beat, but God gives it to me so that I can have a sharp focus on his kingdom and his righteousness. I had the privilege of listening to an interview of a guy by the name of Warren Buffett. I, I, I really am, am, am uh, intrigued by this gentleman. Warren Buffett, I listened to the interview about two months ago. He's the fourth richest man in the world. He's worth about uh, $82.8 billion. And, you know, in this interview, he's in his mid-80s. He's just, he's just tell, laying it out there like it is. He's like, you name it, man, I have earned it. I have done it. I've got all the power. I can go anywhere. I can buy anything. I can do whatever I want. But he said, there's one thing that I can't get. There's one thing that I'm losing every single day. There's one thing that is just out of my reach. And he said, it's time. He said, it's time. I have the world right before me, but there's one thing I can't get, and that is more of time. And then he went on to encourage those listening to rearrange their priorities and sharpen their focus to get the most out of their lives that they have left here on this earth. And what a great piece of advice. So I ask you, listen to the words of Jesus. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Is this true? Is this true? Do you believe this? Is this why we've been put here? And if it's true, then why do you believe? Why would you believe this? Why? Because Jesus didn't just say this. He went and he left it. Jesus left heaven at a time when this earth had turned its back on God. And Jesus came to this earth. God, fully God, came to this earth. Emmanuel, God with us. And he dwelt with us and walked on this earth for 33 years. And he lived a sinless life. Why did he come here? To seek and save that which was lost. Zeteo, Jesus was on a mission. And he came to this earth and he died ultimately a criminal's death. He was nailed to a cross because of his great love for you to save me and you. 
Man, that is so incredible. That's so exciting that Jesus didn't just say it, but he leveraged everything he was ever given and he sharpened his focus and he built God's kingdom and he went after God's righteousness. Why is this so important? Because if you believe that we are here on this earth to build God's kingdom and to seek his righteousness, man, it's gonna shape every decision you ever make. You won't date that woman or that guy. Why? Because they pull you away from building God's kingdom. You'll walk away from that business deal. It doesn't matter how much you're gonna make because you know there's something slimy about it and it doesn't help you build God's kingdom. When everybody else in the room is having a second, a third, and a fourth drink, you'll say no because you know that drink is not helping you build God's kingdom or seek his righteousness. You will choose to walk away from bitterness, not people, and you'll let go of, of being a verbal bully, of always pushing and pushing and being the one that always has to talk to get your way. Why? Because those kind of behaviors and those kinds of attitudes do not build God's kingdom. Seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness means that we care about what God cares about. And what does God care about? You guys. People. That's why Jesus came to this earth. That's why I get so excited to celebrate communion because it's God saying he loves us. Jesus said in Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. He's talking about being close to God and hearing his voice and he's like, hey, it's gonna require you lastly to expect the best. Expect the best. In other words, do you trust God? Do you trust our Heavenly Father that He knows you, He knows what you need, and He's going to come through on your behalf? These words of Jesus couldn't be any more relevant today. Why? Because that's not what we're doing. We're not. We're not expecting the best. Many of us in our nation are expecting the worst. You can see this from the June 18th, 2017 article that Psychology Today published. It was called The Anxiety Epidemic. And they were just outlining the very fact that there's a tsunami of, of anxiety that's sweeping our nation and our souls. We know this because the National Institute of Mental Health uh, put this out. They said 18% of people are experiencing actual anxiety disorders in any given year. That's one in five people in this room. That's a lot of people who are struggling with anxiety disorder, let alone the rest of us who have anxiety and fear and worry, and we're struggling and we're struggling. But in this chapter... In Matthew 6, the one that we're reading from, the ultimate mixtape sermon in chapter 6, Jesus has just finished pointing out all the things that we need physically to survive in our world, things like food, drink, and clothing. But he's also said that God's kingdom and his righteousness, this is the best part, are within our grasp that we should zeteo, seek him with an intensity. So if this is true, and it is, then why do so many of us expect the worst? I think it's fascinating. That Jesus says what he says in Matthew 6, But then the next thing after saying, and all these things will be given to you as well, he goes on and he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of, his own, of its own. What is he trying to articulate? He knows that so many of us struggle with worry, fear, and anxiety. And, and so really to understand, Jesus, what's your point? 
What are you getting at? We have to stay in this chapter, but just go back a few verses. And he kind of unpacks this thought in verse 25. He says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or clothes to wear. Life is more, isn't it more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds, he says. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Can it? Can it? Can your worry and your anxiety make your life longer? No, but we do it anyway. And then, of course, we look to things like this to, to help us with our anxiety. Do you guys know what this is? It's a fidget spinner, right? I'm learning more and more about these things. In fact, I, I just stopped today at a store to buy one of these, and I said, hey, where are they? And he's like, oh, they're usually down there, but we're sold out. We can't keep them in stock. And I, I was like, wow, you know, that's a bummer. And I figured I wouldn't have one. But then I said, well, you sure you don't have any? He's like, well, we do have one behind the counter. And, uh, and I go, would you sell it to me? And he pulled it out. And I was so excited that it, it, it's white. It matches. I was like, yeah, that's so cool. But, but I, I, I did some studying. And I found out that a lady by the name of Catherine Hettinger invented this. It was something that was brewing in her heart and her mind. You see, many years ago, she had seen on TV, I think it was in the 80s, she had seen on TV little children in the Middle East, in the middle of, of, of violence and, and war, they were throwing rocks at soldiers and police officers. And, and they were filled with anxiety and stress and fear. She just thought to herself, wow, could I create something that would, that would bring a little bit of peace? Could I create a toy that would cause kids to be distracted from throwing rocks and maybe in some way release some of the anxiety that they have in their souls. So in 1997, she acquired a patent for the original fidget spinner. But sadly, early this year, her patent ran out and she is not making a dime on any one of these fidget spinners. But you know what? We have to ask ourselves, what are we really afraid of? Why do we need to spin this thing constantly? What are we afraid of? And the answer, truthfully, is almost nothing. Almost nothing. Because our fears, our anxiety are almost every single time right up here. I mean, it happens to me all the time. I'll, I'll think of an event with a lot of anxiety and stress or a circumstance, and I'm like, oh, no, what if bad things happen? And then I get there, and I get past it, and I'm like, I'm still alive. I still have a house. My family still loves me. All the bad things that I thought were going to happen never happened. And that's why a philosopher by the name of Seneca once said, he said, we suffer more from imagination than from reality. And it's true, especially in this country, especially us. Jesus continued to unpack it, and he said, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Jesus said. So don't worry about these things saying what we'll eat and what we'll drink and what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, those who don't have faith in God. But your heavenly Father, he already knows your needs, but seek first then, he said, his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus was like, come on, guys. Why? 
do you have so little faith? Don't you get it? God made you. He knows you. He already knows what you need. Do you trust him? Do you trust him to not seek those things, but to seek after him? And then he will meet all your needs. Don't worry about tomorrow. Why? Because you can't control it. What can we control? We can control this moment and our behavior. Expecting the best is really about believing that God will come through. No matter what, it's believing that if I seek his kingdom and his righteousness, if I rearrange my priorities, sharpen my focus, and have faith and believe, later on, all I need will be given to me. So what are you seeking? It's a valid question. I mean, after all, every single one of us are seeking something. Now, I didn't read it, but it's in that same chapter. Jesus kind of gave us an example in chapter 6. He said, no man can serve two masters at the same time. You'll either serve God or money. He said, there's no in between. You, why? Because you serve what you seek. You can't serve them both. So what are you seeking? What is your fidget spinner? What is it? Is it success? Are you chasing success and throwing your whole life into it, going after it over and over and over again? Or is it porn? Are you sitting by yourself in dark places late at night or private places and you're feeding your mind and your soul? What is your fidget spinner? Is it Instagram and Facebook and having the perfect image? Is it sex and contact with people? Do you worship people? Or is it substances? What? is your fidget spinner. The truth is, if you're not seeking God first, you are definitely seeking something. So what is it? My wife and I and my family, we had an opportunity about 10 years ago to, to decide if we were going to put Jesus' words into practice, if we were going to believe what Jesus was telling us about our Heavenly Father. One night, my wife was feeling sick. She went to bed with a stomach ache. The next morning, she woke up, and she looked like she was about six months pregnant. I immediately knew that something was life and death wrong with her, so I drove her straight to the hospital, and they did a, a CAT scan on her, and they, they, they came into the room knowing that her mom had had colon cancer. By then, my kids were in the room, and it was all four of us, and they began to tell my wife, they told her that, they said, look, you, you have a blockage in your small intestine, and we think it's due to it. There's a mass in there, and, and there's a good chance. By the way, you're going to need to have surgery in the next 15 to 30 minutes because you could die right now. And, 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 and by the way, we want you to know that when you wake up, you might have cancer. And so they left the room, and we began to cry. I'll be honest with you, the Rosingers lost it. Here's my wife. She's running four miles a day, eating like so good and taking care of herself, the, the peak of health. And suddenly our world, you know, this dream life comes crashing down from one night to the next morning. And bam, everything is falling apart. And we grabbed hands. And in that moment, we had to decide, are we going to trust God? Are we going to expect the best? And we began to pray. And we prayed. And we said, God, we don't understand this, but we're seeking you. Please, God, come through. I don't want to lose my wife. We don't, want, we don't want my kid's mother to be gone. We prayed and we prayed and we said amen. And all of a sudden, that's when we heard it. 
we heard a voice. It was a familiar voice. Suddenly, it was the voice of my brother-in-law, who is a, a construction uh, a guy who oversees construction crews. And even though this hospital was an hour from his home, he happened to be overseeing a construction crew. You know, it just happened in the same hospital, a floor above us on the same day at the same moment, and he's a pastor. And he walked into the room after he got the text. He was just a minute away, and he reached out, and he hugged us, and he said, God, here's your prayers. You are not alone. God is with you. You can trust God. And it was in that moment that we were reminded that he is with us. And he has made us for something great. My wife, God's not done with her. She's healthy. She woke up the next day and found out that she didn't have cancer, that she has Crohn's disease, but she's been healthy ever since. We're still here. He wants to do something with us. I don't know what it is, but, but here's the reality. We had to decide what are we going to grab a hold of? What is it? What are we going to grab a hold of? And it was in that moment that I realized, I don't need that. I don't need something else. This is my fidget spinner right here, folks. This is it. I grab a hold of God on the good days and on the bad days. I grab a hold of him and I go after him with everything within me. I want to seek him first. I want to remind you, God is not done with you. You're here. You have value. He loves each and every one of you. And he has put you here for a reason. He has made you for something more than the nine to five, the pursuit of success or money. God has made you for something great. I've been wrestling with purpose. What was I created for? I'm more than what you see on the surface. See beneath my skin and scars, I'm skinned and scarred. Marred and twisted, scarred by the past I need to be lifted. And sometimes I question my own existence. What was I put here for? In my seams, it seems that there seems to be more. It's like I'm a light, unplugged from the socket. I mean, do I really exist to put money in my pocket? This nine to five feels like a nine to nine. My mind entwined, I pass the time. Life circles me as I wait. What is my estate? I feel like I was made for something great, and yet I can't quite put my finger on it. But when I look at my fingers and I see their design, I realize I'm one of a kind. And something created me. No, someone created me. And that someone made me for a reason. Even though it's clear the past years have been treason, I still sense this drawing, this calling, that even in the midst of my falling, there was someone who died to pick me up. Someone who rose to fix me up. Someone who's coming back to lift me up. And that someone is Jesus. See, God made me for a purpose. And when I delight in him, it's brought to the surface. It's delighting in him. It's, it's pursuing the purpose that God has for your life. So how do we do that? How do we hear God's voice? Jesus was pretty clear when he said in Matthew chapter 2, verse 21, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is your treasure? Is it God or is it something else? Remember I started off talking about mixtapes, how I had the option to listen to my own voice or the voice of others? Whose voice is louder in your life? 
Is it God's or is it, is it yours? I want to challenge some of you this morning. There are some of you, you've heard the voice of the words of, of Jesus as he's talking about, about what it takes. Again, it's rearranging your priorities. It's sharpening your focus. It's expecting the best. And so I want to challenge some of you guys this morning. You, you don't, many of you don't want to just hear Jesus' words. You're like, no, this has changed me. This has impacted me. I can't just stop at allowing it to change me. I want to walk out of here and do something with the words of Jesus. So for some of you, it means that you're going to have to break up with that guy and that girl. Some of, some of the rest of you, maybe you gotta find a different job and leave that workplace. Or maybe it's to get a, an accountability partner, an accountability software to put on your phone and your iPad and your computer like I have on mine. Maybe it's letting someone know that you struggle with substance abuse. You, you like to drink wine two glasses a night, but not just, every, not just once a night, every single night of the week. And maybe it's giving something big away to break the greed, that grip, that grip that greed has on your heart. I don't know what it is, but the reality is God is speaking to you, and I want to bless you in that, that in order to hear his voice, we've got to be able to get closer to him and make some of those changes, and those changes start today. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus came and spoke truth, the kind of truth that changes us and makes us different and allows us to build your kingdom and seek your righteousness and have an impact on this world. Bless my friends here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.